1: WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet, download the WinBet app now, or visit wynnbet.com to start winning.
2: Player and team developments we expect or hope for—that's what we're talking about this week or today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretch. You can find me on Twitter at yardspergretch. You can find my Stealing Signals Substack at bengretch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel, who you can find at Rotoviz and Sean. It's an interesting week. We had uh, you know another week with a lot of running backs available on waivers, which has seemed to be a trend every single week. But we are going to kick off with a little bit of discussion about Justin Fields. We are. The Bears-Packers game was tight until the end. It
3: looked like Chicago might be able to spring the upset there when uh, really on the penultimate drive, Fields bogged down, wasn't able to keep them going. They needed one more stop as well to really feel good about their chances there. The defense continues to play well. Khalil Herbert, really a revelation in this game where we could see his start-stop ability. We could see his explosiveness once he got through the hole. Uh, as we talked about earlier in the week, a touchdown, another touchdown called back. But Ben, the passing game also took some baby steps forward. And this past game is, is pretty interesting. Now, some of the stats we're going to talk about today come from the advanced stats tool, come from the ceiling signals tool. I'm going to reference a lot of stuff that... Our writers, Corbin, Connor, and Bjorn, have been talking about in cool pieces this week. One of the guys who jumps out uh, is Darnell Mooney. Really for all three of the main guys. And this passing attack, not very high volume, but it really is centralized in Mooney, Robinson. And now this past week, some encouraging signs from Cole Komet. Ben, what were your thoughts on Justin Fields as we continue to see... Elite arm strength, very impressive accuracy, but then some of the elements that maybe let him fall a little bit in the draft, the concerns that some teams had about him moving to his second read and being able to work through some of those elements, and even this ability to unleash the athletic ability, which has bailed out someone like a Trey Lance on occasion and really was the thing that allowed Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson to be just these breakout stars Almost from the instant they were on the field, we haven't seen that yet.
2: Yeah, definitely. And that was something I wrote a little bit about in Stealing Signals this week. And then talking with some subscribers, got some questions about basically, you know, we're seeing him get cut in a lot of leagues. You're seeing him get cut in two quarterback leagues, even, um, or at least that was true for one of my subscribers. And the, the question was sort of boiled down to, you know, in what situations are we still holding him? And, my, I mean, my answer was uh, that I, like, I haven't cut him, but I'm mostly playing in deeper leagues. I did see this week some of the, I, I would say some of the concerns that other people have been seeing that I've been maybe, you know, rose colored glasses overlooking. But part of that for me is because, you know, certainly he looked, even as things opened up, I, I've been blaming Nagy in the offense a lot. Even as things opened up, he looked like he was playing tight this week. And that was one of the big things I think was a problem for him to really have a strong game uh, because he does have, you know, the dual threat ability. And and the thing that I've been so excited about is the accuracy. He continues to place balls in in really intelligent spots, not just hitting guys in stride when they're open and those types of things, but throwing away from the defense when they're not and, and all of those types of things. He looks great at that stuff. Other than, you know, in this game, he had a couple, he had one that he threw up that was, you know, I think he very much thought he had a free play. The defensive tackle jumped. It's right in front of the center there. They talked about it a bunch on the broadcast. Looking back, uh, it goes down as an interception. He kind of throws a Hail Mary into the end zone on a third and long, basically just an arm punt. And we never got a great shot, but I actually think they probably did miss an offsides on that play. Uh, and then later, he he had another one that he threw up. Didn't have that caveat and probably should have been an interception. It was very, very close. They reviewed it. And and the call in the field stood that it was an incomplete pass, but that was another like sort of bad throwaway. So anyway, other than those couple of plays, he he has looked really good uh, throwing the ball. But yeah, he looked a little tight even as the offense uh, opened up. There was a play that he scrambled. I mean, he started to scramble more, and there was a play that he scrambled for a good chunk. Um, but when you watch back the play, you know, the Green Bay defender gets his hand on Fields' jersey and, and tugs on the jersey and Fields is able to break free and then find running room to the left. Watching the play, I was like, you could see that there was this the space to the left. The line was sort of overloading, the defensive line was sort of o- overloading their pass rush to Fields' right. The left end was sort of kind of spying, not actually pass rushing. And so they were just kind of leaving the left side open, but trying to sort of spy and Fields should have been moving in the pocket away from the, the pressure and where the line was, and he was just staying right where he was. And so that's like an example of what I would say is you know, him playing sort of tight. It's, it, it was nice to see him break free from the near sack, but he also could have been sacked if the defender had a better grasp on him. And if he would have been shifting towards that space earlier, you know he wouldn't have had to, to make that play to break a tackle and all those things. So some elements like that that don't look great, definitely some holding the ball, which we know has been a concern. He takes two sacks late in the game. They're into field goal range, down 10 points, need to at least get a field goal. Especially the first one I thought was really poor. He had an opportunity to just get rid of the ball and ends up taking a sack by trying to kind of extend the play. The, 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 the second one was on a third and long after the you know the original sack. And uh it was a couple of plays later. I think the original sack was first down and then third down. He, you know, doesn't get great protection, but also they're in like 52 yard field goal range and it's third and long and you're down 10, you got to at least give your, you know, your kicker a chance to make the field goal and, and cut it to a one score game. It's it's a situation where you just can't take a sack and he takes another sack. So a couple of things there that were, were not great, but the tightness thing. And I think part of the reason I've been, you know, that's the way that I've been describing that. He looks like he's playing tight. Part of the reason that I've been, you know, blaming Nagy and not been, necessarily blaming fields as much as he playing, like the biggest thing I would have said about his preseason play especially his very first game so he seemed to be playing so loose he, he was taking off and running uh he seemed like he had good feel to, t- to break the pocket earlier he had a rushing TD I think on his first drive in the preseason and another nice run and if you've watched him in the regular season it looks like he is almost glued to a spot in a way that like this is you know I I can't really I don't really have a good explanation for why he would look so much tighter in the regular season than he did in the preseason. And the biggest one I can come up with is he's more or less being instructed as this rookie Q- rookie QB to play that way, to stay more in the pocket, to look to pass. We know that coaches are gonna look at things like that sometimes. And as a rookie QB, he's gonna try to do what he's told essentially. And so he's trying to get through his reads, he's trying to work on those things, but it just seems like whatever for whatever reason, he's not playing in, in a way that makes the most sense for him. Now the positive from a fantasy perspective, he's had three already single-digit games. He comes out this week, he ends up with like 14 or 15 points. If he's able to get more points in that late-game situation where they're trailing, potentially gets up to around 20 fantasy points, he's had some weird games. The Cleveland game was was atrocious. It was terrible on all levels. They got blown up. at The line of scrimmage, their whole offense was terrible. And then the next two games, they get out into a positive script, and the opposing offenses don't really compete. So you can understand why, especially coming off the Cleveland game, the team was very hesitant to throw – at a high rate necessarily. And so they, they run a lot. They win those games. I was bummed in stealing. signals weeks that they didn't let fields get into more of a rhythm, but this week against the Packers they are trailing, but it's not a situation like the Browns where they're just absolutely getting destroyed up front and everything. And fields opens it up a little more. And, and I expect the bears are going to trail going forward at times. And we're going to see fields be able to throw more. And so going forward from a fantasy perspective, I almost feel like those first three games are represent sort of the floor of anything we could see going forward. If you look at like all the different elements of what go into, especially for a dual threat quarterback, what goes into them scoring fantasy points, team pass rate could not probably be any worse for Fields. His scramble rate could basically not be any worse. He did a little bit better here uh, against Green Bay and and did get off and run a little better for fantasy, obviously. The touchdown rate, the fact that they've had a lot of rushing, running back rushing TDs in these games for a dual threat quarterback, that's, I mean, I, I, I think that, can't get any worse. He's either, you know, Fields is going to either throw some of these pass, these TDs going forward, or he's going to run some himself, you know, just the overall efficiency of the offense sort of can't be any worse. So there's all these different elements where like, I don't know, not necessarily that all of the things are going to improve. I I actually think that they won't. And I don't think necessarily that they will improve soon. We're seeing only baby steps, like you said, but I also don't think if you look ahead towards the end of the season, that, the rest of Justin Fields' rookie season is going to be defined by all of those things being basically worst case scenario for him to produce fantasy points where there's a really low pass rate and he has a really low scramble rate and all the TDs are going to the running backs. It just seems very, very unlikely. And so like all, all of those things can only improve. And this week, you know, it was the scramble rate was a little better, but they did have a rush TD and only one, you know, he had one pass TD that was a little better, but there's just elements in the way that he's playing. He's accurate. He is athletic. I, 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 just think as we look forward that we're going to see a lot better performances broadly. He's still probably going to have some more single digit games because the bears are going to bears, but there's going to be some games. I think where he hits 20 points. I, I still believe all that. I've, I've definitely shifted the expectations down, but I don't think he should be like available. I mean, we, we saw with Jalen Hurts late last season was a, a massive fantasy player late in the, uh, in the, in the fantasy playoffs last year. We've seen it with like Team Tebow's and those types, right? And and Fields is showing more as a passer than those types. The team situation does suck, but this guy does still have the profile that can be a really useful fantasy quarterback later in the year. And Ben, I think that cautious
3: optimism then leaks over to the receiving threats. And I, I've got a couple of these guys on a lot of teams and, and follow with interest sort of... At, any hint of a mini breakout and Darnell Mooney has really been the guy for Chicago this year. He leads in terms of routes run, a tiny little edge over Allen Robinson there, same small edge in targets. He's catching 89% of his catchable passes. His conversion of air yards, the percentage is actually twice as good as Robinson's there. He has eight more targets in week six, he catches five of them, he gets into the end zone. He continues to look like someone who, for a smaller speed receiver, can operate at that intermediate depth and get open very consistently. And that's something that is helpful for this young QB who wants to see his guys open. The contrast there is Allen Robinson, who is one of the week's leader in air yards, are using him on some more deep opportunities this year. If he can start to hit on a few of those, not only will it pay off a little better for his fantasy managers, but allow the overall offense to work. And then the other guy that I really love and have on a lot of teams, so there's going to be a little bit of bias here, but Cole Komet, third in routes on this team by a very, very wide margin. He has the five targets in week six. He catches four of those. He also has what I believe uh, was a lateral down at the goal line that he's not quite able to punch in. Komet, one of those guys who has this, Profile of the breakout in terms of talent, right? So we would see him as being one of the next guys in that uh, Hawkinson-Goddard type of area to make the move. And week one was okay. He goes through this month that was basically completely barren, jumps back out in week six. We picked him up in uh, one league for just a dollar, which I don't necessarily think that he should be out there at those prices when you look at where some of these developments can be he's big he's athletic he catches the ball well Uh, he's good before the catch he's good after the catch and i think that he is going to be the guy who sort of unlocks this offense going forward how sort of physically dominant he was in week six and how the bears adjusted to make him a focal point I think is a big part of what they'll need to do, and I think can be a big element of unlocking Justin Fields.
2: Yeah, I completely agree, and I, I would also just add that I, you know, A. Rob has basically looked disinterested to me uh, basically the whole season. Saw a little bit more life from him in Week Six. It felt like like maybe he decided he wanted to play football this year. So him being involved as well. I mean, Mooney has basically been the only guy for a while here now, but a little more from from A. Rob would be nice as well. But I agree with you on Komet. And, and even if it is just sort of Mooney and Komet and A-Rob is kind of going through the motions for whatever reason, it's, it'd be helpful to have a couple of pieces that are are getting uh, acclimated. I, I would say that, look, I'm not like buying low on Allen Robinson. It's been atrocious so far, and he's not even a guy that I drafted in any leagues or, or was ever really excited about. But certainly there's some optimism there. Broadly, for if you want a case for buying low on A-Rob or you want a case more about Komet to understand like understand what would mean that we're optimistic the team pass attempt numbers have been incredibly low. And this is definitely not the first rookie that we've seen that from uh, in their first couple of games. Like it is very common actually for rookie QBs. I mean, not entirely in every situation, but, but fairly common for rookie QBs to have sort of absurdly low pass attempt numbers early. And then for whatever reason, the, you know, the the coaching staff or the game flow or whatever, their their volume sort of opens up later in the season. I didn't necessarily have like great examples of this as I was trying to talk through it with some subscribers, but I started pulling some. And, you know, the first very first one that came to mind for me was Deshaun Watson, who I remember immediately in his first start was really good, but that was in large part because he had this super long touchdown run against the Bengals. He pretty quickly in a second or third start, Started to actually open up and throw a lot more. And he had a really good stretch. And then he he ends up landing on on injured reserve later in his rookie season. But as I and look, it would be probably wrong to compare Fields to Watson at this point. We don't know what Fields is going to be long term. So as I was looking through some other ones, I was trying to look at more, a better range of potential like sort of player talent types. So another one that came up uh, came to mind was Mitch Trubisky. Because remember, he had some really, really low-volume games to start. His second start of his career, had 16 pass attempts. His third start, he had seven. So they literally – I mean, this is actually John Fox's Bears. Now we're doing the same thing with Matt Nagy. I'm sure Bears fans are thrilled to to know that uh, the way that Matt Nagy is handling Justin Fields more or less shows that when they fired John Fox, they just hired the new John Fox. Uh, But, yeah, Trubisky, in his first three starts, because he had only 25 pass attempts in his first start, He totals 48 pass attempts, super, super low. And then immediately by his fourth, fifth, sixth start, seventh start, he has a bunch of 30 pass attempt games. He only has one more the rest of the year that's under 20 attempts uh, and only two more the rest of the year that are under 30 attempts. So it takes a few weeks, but they, for the the rest of that season, open things up and start treating it like an actual NFL offense. And then going into, you know, Trubisky, his first start was week five. Going into his second season, early in that season, he has some really nice games. So still, sort of in his first sixteen starts, if you will. And the other one I looked at was Josh Allen early in his rookie season. He has a uh, six games. He gets hurt. He misses four games. The first six games, he only throws more than twenty-two passes twice, and he wasn't even really running very much early, especially compared to what he did late. I think everyone will remember that late in Allen's rookie season, after he came back, is when he had you know a ninety-nine yard. Uh and a TD rushing game in his first start back. Then he has a 135-yard game, then a 101-yard game. Uh, I know after that offseason, I was writing about how he couldn't be as good of a a running quarterback as he was over this stretch. He also had a 95-yard, two touchdown rushing game in week 17 of that year. His final six games was just absurdly good as a running quarterback. And I was writing about how that that would have to regress. And clearly I was right because Josh Allen has just gone on to be a superstar. And again, Fields, not necessarily Josh Allen. I'm not saying late this year he's going to be running for 100 yards. The point is Josh Allen as a rookie early in his season, didn't have more than 40 rushing yards in any game in his first six games. Later, he winds up running a lot more. He's also throwing more passes, uh, was over – 25 pass attempts in five of his final six games, again, was over that number only twice in his first six starts. So, you know, Tua, similar thing. Very, very low volume. First couple starts last year from Miami. Later in the year, he has a 48 pass attempt game, 58 pass attempt game. Point is, we've seen this. I don't necessarily know what's going to improve for Fields right now. It feels like nothing can because the Bears are terrible. And maybe the Bears are just a, a worse situation for any quarterback than we've ever seen. But when you look at it sort of, First of all, based on some of these trends from some of these rookies, even these ones that aren't necessarily great, they went on to have strong games at some point in the rookie season. And a lot of them started at really absurdly low volume-like fields. And then you look at what, what has happened with fields, the reasons for it. Well, the Cleveland game, we watched that game. They got absolutely destroyed, and I, you know, I already went over this. But then the next two games, they're coming off that Cleveland game. So, of course, they were a little bit even more conservative than you would expect. Now they get back into a, a negative script here with – The Packers fields throws a season high 27 times should have probably had a few more pass attempts and potentially a a second passing TD. Maybe not should have, but could have because they're in that late game situation where they're, they're trailing and they are throwing, but he takes those bad sacks. That's not going to happen in every single game. Uh, You know, sometimes he's going to be able to push them down and get them into the end zone when they're in this trail situation late, they're going to trail against Tampa. Part of the reason I'm bringing this up now is they're facing Tampa Bay Tampa Bay has a a, a really aggressive pass rush, probably pretty similar to Cleveland. At the same time, we're a month away from that Cleveland game. They've they've actually done some different things. It's not great necessarily. But I do think, like, Tampa Bay is giving up the third most points to opposing quarterbacks, I think. I do think Fields is going to do something in this game, whether it's some rush value or they're able to throw late in a blowout loss or whatever it is. I do think Fields is going to wind up having a decent game. And it's not – I mean, I think – Based on most of who, you know, most of what I'm hearing and who I'm talking to, it it sounds like people are expecting Tampa's D-line to do what Cleveland's D-line did and for fields to have another single-digit point fantasy game. I just, that doesn't seem actually like what all of these trends point towards. I I think he's got to throw a little bit more than he has in those, or did in those first couple of starts. It's just, everything's got to trend that way in the first place because it was absurdly low volume and NFL teams can't play that way over long stretches and he's got to have some kind of regression somewhere right so what i'm hearing from
3: ben gretch is that justin fields should not be on waivers in your league if he is pick him up and there have been some opportunities to buy fields in Superflex in dynasty if you have a manager there who is ready to win the title this season and was excited about fields but now can't win the title if they keep going that route uh, this is the time to make some offers. Now, you're going to have to make good offers. You're going to have to make fair offers. You're not going to be able to steal Justin Fields. People understand uh, some of the elements, at least, that Ben is talking about. But this is the buying window. This is your chance. So make sure you get out there and get that done this week. If he looks good against the Buccaneers, that window will slam shut in a real hurry. Ben, we're going to talk about some other trade opportunities, both sort of dynasty and redraft related. I'll come back from the break.
1: Colm Kelly here, the executive producer of the Road of His Radio Podcast Network and co-host of the Road of His Overtime Podcast, along with the phenomenal Sean Siegel. The wait is over. The NFL season is here, and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Road of His NFL Pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools, everything you need to help you for that in-season success. As a loyal podcast listener, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL Pass, just by adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. go to rotavis.com forward slash podcast for more information. Let's go get those championships. I hope you enjoy the podcast.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: of formats and looking at the game from a variety of different elements on rotoviz we have the gps match operator we have the advanced passing tab within the advanced stats tool we have the game level similarity projections every week which give you a range of outcomes for offensive players based on their role and the defense that they're facing up with that week how that how similar defenses have historically allowed players like that to dominate dave has the early week gillespie projections blair allows you to take those and do well in dfs with them also dave had some huge hits on the rams this week with his combo gps and wide receiver cornerback tool article and so It's a lot of fun to be able to go in and see so much information on these players, even on the players page itself in the NFL Stat Explorer. There is a matchup tab, which will give you his matchup based on the strength of schedule tool, but also will let you look at the Vegas lines, how players in that situation have performed. It will show you how the opposing defense has performed against that position in the last five games both from a reality perspective and a fantasy perspective. So there's so much that you can do in terms of trying to get a sense for what this week is going to give you. The strength of schedule tool also allows you to look at a little bit broader picture. Now, we know that there are gonna be some things that aren't completely sticky about defensive performance, but we also know that understanding defenses and understanding game scripts, understanding the way teams play, right? What do their, does their defense want you to do you know, what are they going to come out and ask from the opposing offense? Are they going to completely stuff the run and you have to pass like we see with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Are they a team that wants to play almost prevent and they force you to kind of run, 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 sack some of the clock, You know, take away your deep passing attack like the Los Angeles Chargers do? Some of these things that we can see will also tell you how the schedules look on a bigger picture. You can pull up the strength of schedule streamer And see what this looks like color coded individual matchups and then how they combine. And so one of the things that I like to do is take some chunks of the season, decide whether or not there are some huge trade opportunities. Now we're not looking for sort of narrow paths. So if someone is barely above average, someone else is barely below average, you're not necessarily looking to make a move on that. It's probably not enough information, probably not a big enough gap to make a trade, and especially because trades are difficult to execute in the first place, uh, you definitely don't want to give up a bigger talent to get a lesser talent for a small move. But we do see situations in which a player has the best remaining strength of schedule and sometimes by a wide margin, or the worst remaining strength of schedule and sometimes by a wide margin. With about five weeks to go in last season, one of the main things that column and I talked about on Rotoviz overtime was this amazing schedule that David Montgomery was going to have to finish the season and how it was likely to launch his career if that's possible right we weren't sure even at that point if Montgomery had even the baseline talent to to make anything of that but then obviously he goes on the big run and you watch him play against these really weak run defenses and it's just night and day right he's no longer getting tackled in the backfield when he breaks a tackle he takes it for 10 yards as opposed to breaking the tackle And then being tackled by the next guy who's right on top of it and so there are some opportunities to make some plays like this one of the things i wrote about this week and i know that you were asked about by some of your readers was the schedule that dalvin cook has going forward so just to give listeners a little bit of a sense from now through the end of the season dalvin cook has the worst remaining schedule in the NFL, and unfortunately for our Antonio Gibson fans, and we may talk about that a little bit at the very end of the show, Ben, he has the second worst. If we look specifically just at the fantasy playoffs, Weeks 15, 16, and 17, Cook has the worst schedule, and he has the worst schedule by an absolute mile. To jump into the specifics a little bit, those teams happen to be Chicago, the Rams, the Packers. We know those teams have been taking away running backs making teams beat them in other ways and so we look at that and then think okay well what are some opportunities here and Javante Williams somebody who continues to pop up in all of the advanced metrics as being a potential breakout in the second half of the season the third best the Rams have the fourth best the 49ers have the fifth best Some guys in that range, you think about a Daryl Henderson, you think about an Elijah Mitchell. And so one of the things you can do is you can take Cook and try and move him for someone like Eckler or Ezekiel Elliott, both guys with positive schedules who don't have quite as much value as Cook but are probably a little bit safer from an injury perspective and then pick up a secondary player as well. Or you can take a guy who is quite a bit down in Henderson, but who does look like one of the league winners of the 2021 season, and then also add in a big way at wide receiver. So if you weren't able to execute your zero RB or your modified zero RB plan quite as well as you wanted, and you know that going into the buys now, you need a lot more receiver firepower, then that's a direction you can go with it. The other thing that I think you can possibly do, Alexander Madison, because he's had a couple of big games, And because Donald Cook has been dinged up, my perception, and it's not going to be the same in every individual league, but in some leagues for some managers, his perceived value now is much higher than his actual value because the things that we remember from the recent past are him having these big games when the reality is that the handcuffs have very, very little value. One of the reasons why we recommend against people drafting them even fairly late In those drafts to start the season and so if you can move madison to the cook manager and get back an impressive future pick then those are some things that you can do there now uh, talked about in some of the recent articles too the potential to in a couple of weeks sell cooper cup get back some of these top wide receivers that's both a bet against him being able to sustain this amazing production but also just understanding that the schedule does get more difficult so again we're talking about the very top versus the very bottom there are some moves that you can make there where uh, some managers are not paying attention to that or some managers don't believe in the relevance of defense and there are some exploitable opportunities Dalvin cook going into the buy this week and this creates some sell opportunities where a lot of managers are going to think okay well they're selling because the buy is coming up i can exploit this i'm going to get a little bit better price this manager needs to move off of cook because they need to win this week. And so I'm going to go after it. I'm going to make the acquisition. One of the things that I think is kind of fun about that element is that it allows you to get into this overall cell of cook to where it's camouflaged a little bit. Right? So one of the things that we have going forward now is that from week eight, until week 17 the vikings have the fourth worst schedule but then when it really gets bad is in the fantasy playoffs where they have the worst schedule and the worst schedule by a wide wide margin specifically they go up against the bears the rams and the packers teams that have been either stopping the run or have been asking teams to pass against them and have been moving in a direction where it's hard to score the running back points right and so if you're going to give up a lot from a schedule perspective, and you have the injury risk there with Cook, then you have some you have dual incentives to make a move here in a situation where you can get some players back who potentially would have a lot more value to you. And you can kind of move around in a way that I think is interesting, right? So we've talked a lot about Javante Williams. We know he's in that even split with Melvin Gordon, but we know that these backfields tend to move in the direction of the rookie as the season goes along. Javante Williams has that crazy evasion rate. The Denver Broncos have the number one schedule from week eight on, which will really amplify that breakout if it starts to happen. The Dallas Cowboys have the third best schedule, the Chargers the fourth best. We know that Ezekiel Elliott and Austin Eckler are guys who right now have the touch profiles to be absolutely winners for you now there are going to be some situations in which those guys have done so well and with the injury situations surrounding all three players that you might even have to kick in a little bit but with the schedules being so different i like the flexibility of going and trying to make some of these moves and then when we get down to the very end of the season in terms of the playoff matchups we still have good matchups for dallas We still have good matchups for the Chargers. The Chargers get the Chiefs, the Texans, the Broncos down the stretch there. And so I like moving with these rosters. And with Dalvin Cook, we know we have the best running back potentially in all of football. Then, when we're looking at, at some of these big gaps between the best schedules and the very worst schedules, some... Opportunities to put yourself in that position where you are the guy who are getting to start late season 2020 Derrick Henry. You're getting to be the guy who gets to start David Montgomery against that stretch of bad run defenses at the end of the season. And you're not sitting there the last couple of weeks and thinking to yourself, okay, well, I had this great season and I was set and I'm in the finals, but now I'm looking at the projections for week 16, week 17, and I'm thinking to myself, I wish my best guys weren't going against defenses to where the blow up potential i mean even if it's something where they're going to score okay and what's out cook i mean you're expecting him to beat even good defenses but when we're thinking about winning in the championship and you we can even think to back to some of our rosters the last couple of weeks where you know we've had multiple guys put up twos and threes and then you look at it and you're like well why did I win this week in this league compared to this other one where everybody scored 10 points or more? And then you go and look at the two starting lineups and say, Oh, well the one where I had a couple of busts, I also had multiple 25 plus performances. You're going to win your championship and feel comfortable and excited about that. When you have access to this massive upside.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned the, the strength of, you know, looking at this stuff. I, it's certainly a sort of a, a leak for me or a, a something that I don't look at as much. Um, certain, I think when I was less in the weeds with fantasy, I was looking at things like schedule a lot. And then there was a point where I, you know, I've gotten so deep into things like stealing signals and player usage that I'm maybe not taking enough time to look at things like that. Like you mentioned the David Montgomery one from last year. That's one that I sort of let slip a little bit and didn't, didn't um, see coming as such a positive for him and that it's a really key thing. When I mean, one of the things you mentioned about like how to use this strength of schedule tool at Rotoviz was that it, you know, some some of the the matchups to me are a little bit they're they're interesting. They're like you mentioned for Cook that he has Green Bay in week 17 in the fantasy championship. I think of Green Bay as a great matchup for running backs because they're a team that kind of asks teams to run against them. A lot of running backs, I think, have pretty strong rushing yardage totals against them. We just saw Khalil Herbert last week have a strong day against them. At the same time, what this is factoring in includes things like Green Bay's offense plays very slow and they they're efficient and they score touchdowns and they kind of limit, or they certainly limit the overall production of opposing offenses just by the way that they play offense. They play slow and they and they limit. So you have like a pace element and a play volume element that comes into it. And then the other aspect of it might be that because they ask teams to run more than throw, probably fewer receptions. I haven't actually looked at this, but you're talking about, okay, good rushing days, but basically low value touches, as I would describe it from a high value touch, low value touch perspective. Um, Now, is that going to impact Dalvin Cook? I mean, that's a question sort of that I have for you that I was thinking about is like, you know how much does a matchup like that really negatively impact a guy like Dalvin Cook? It's it's interesting, but I, I agree with the way that you framed it that like we're looking for these blow up games in the postseason. So it is kind of hard to to take or to to chew on and understand at the same time yeah, it probably isn't a season where Dalvin Cook has the monster run in the playoffs. If every game is a bad game, he might be able to overcome one of these matchups. It's it's a tougher needle to thread when you're asking him to overcome a tough matchup every single week to have a 30-point game and be that superstar running back in the postseason. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's a really strong point and an interesting thing to, to consider, especially right now. As you're looking at trades, as you're looking at things, and, and you talked about the cover for potentially trading cook. People might think, Oh yeah, he's been banged up, but I'm getting, I'm getting him at a discount. Well, maybe it's not, you know, such a discount in terms of the, really the way I'd frame it is the percentage that he's the guy you have to have in your, in your fantasy playoffs. And you mentioned those high value touches and and you go in
3: and look at the matchups tool for say Antonio Gibson or the guys who may play this week for Washington in the running game and you see that over the last five weeks the Green Bay rush defense is number 25 in terms of and that's you know from the running backs perspective so that's good for them in terms of expected points and so that element you talk about about their game style and how it relates to the points that they give up is very very relevant Uh, like you said I, I do think that The stars are going to beat some of these defenses in a way that David Montgomery might not. And yet at the same time, we're looking for these stretches where we can get both stars and uh, just very easy runways to put up the massive stretch of points. Especially if you can do something like we saw last season where the guys have multiple uh, games in a row that will let you get through the playoffs like that. Now, in some of these... uh, Situations where we have the memories of guys making a big, big difference. You know, maybe that's in a tournament where you're going to uh, maybe not have the in season trades, but we think in terms of, you know, even things like dynasty where you want to get through there, but you also want this element where the trade value then spikes because the last thing that people remember and what sticks through you for the whole off season is how did the guy do at the end? who was hot, who won championships. And we know that that's a weakness that we can sometimes have as fantasy managers and that sometimes the prices are wrong as a result, but you want to be able to take advantage of those incorrect prices and have those work in your favor. You don't want your players on your dynasty team going into the offseason cold and have to wait around for people to come back around to the idea of, okay, yeah, I mean, the whole season and the player profile in general means that the trade value should be here. And so those are some other little ways in which we can exploit this that aren't just about winning in 2021.
2: I'm just looking at the schedule app right now, as we're sort of talking and like I'm doing doing research while we record. But yeah, I mean, I think like, for instance, one that I think is interesting that I'm looking at is that Philly actually has the best schedule for running backs the rest of the way. The Philly running backs have been awful, but how, like how are you playing that? Do you think Miles Sanders is somebody worth considering acquiring? You know, Kenneth Gainwell is a guy that I've been asked a lot about him being cut, you know, or whether people should cut him or he's being cut in leagues. My take on him has been like, look, the last couple of weeks it seemed like they've really wanted to get Miles Sanders going, but at the same time they don't have a lot of touches for their backs overall, and so they've essentially wound up not using Gainwell. But that I don't think necessarily is like that big of a. A, a negative mark on gainwell who has been efficient and has looked good at times the bigger issue is like and then we have talked about this recently but the bigger issue is they're not generating a lot of opportunity for their running backs overall At the same time when you look at the rest of the season the schedule and the fact that they've really only used two backs if sanders were to go down i still think gainwell has a lot of handcuff value if he were to work into i mean i don't know that I, that that trading for miles sanders at the likely cost of acquiring him makes a ton of sense, but Gainwell's one that people are just outright cutting. And so he's somebody that at his cost might make some sense as a handcuff that is worth stashing for a while, knowing that if there is a period of time that that Sanders misses, I mean, Gainwell's looked really good in the limited opportunities he's gotten. I would expect him to be maybe not a workhorse, but the back that gets the bulk of their touches. And maybe that wouldn't necessarily be a massive ceiling, but in good in good matchups where he is an efficiency player, we could see some big, big weeks.
3: And there, there are a lot of ways in which Gainville profiles as the high value touch guy in that offense, should they go back into a direction where they have some of those, right? So we talk about teams who are at the top end of that for different positional groups, teams that are at the bottom end for different positional groups, especially I think when an offense is developing an identity there's the ability for that to bounce around a little bit more than, you know, if you have a 35 year old quarterback and an established play caller and you know what the identity is and you would expect it to be somewhat consistent until you have an injury or maybe you have a big influx of talent in the offseason at a certain position that changes around what a team wants to do. And so I think that when you have a Philadelphia, there is the potential to any time that the Overall workload or the overall dynamic of the offense turns against any of these individual young players that you should acquire them. And so you go through a little bit of a stretch here where Devontae Smith doesn't have a great game and you need to get out all the trade offers. You can, Devonte Smith is going to be a star. You look at game a little bit the same way. It's almost kind of the situation where if the Eagles were a little bit worse or they had even a little bit more running back depth behind those two, you might almost think that they were auditioning Sanders for a trade in the way that we consistently hear about Marlon Mack being auditioned there uh, just a couple of weeks ago, the Eagles were talking about how if this split between Sanders and Gainwell and performance stayed the same, then Gainwell was going to be a big part of the offense that they had to either have Sanders really go, or they had to have Gainwell get these touches. And then the next two weeks they did the exact opposite what was reported which you know is a good reminder about taking some of those reports with a grain of salt but also raises some questions about what their long-term outlook really might be and so gainwell definitely somebody to put in as the number two when you're doing a two for two you can conceal some of those if he's actually your main target by putting some equal headliners in that maybe if you're doing a two for three we know there are a lot of times where you can get that third player in a two for two And he would be somebody I would be trying to pick up in those situations. Because like you said, I I think that the likelihood that it actually pays off for us is pretty low, but the price also should be in that range where it makes sense to try and make those bets. If we can do it without hurting ourselves in other areas.
2: Definitely looking at the QB and wide receiver, the best schedule going forward is Vegas. And look, they looked pretty much the same without John Gruden last week. Henry Ruggs had a nice game. They do have kind of a not great matchup against Philly this week. And then they're on a bye in week eight. But that just means that from week nine to week 17, especially, I mean, they're the, they're the best remaining schedule from week seven on. But from week nine to 17, especially is when you're looking at, you know, I know you've you've talked about Derek Carr a lot and we have him on a lot of our teams. You're looking at the potential for Car and Rugs and some of these guys to be, and Darren Waller is a guy that we're waiting on for sure to be a lot more productive. So that would be nice to see as well. It would be great, and and it depends on where you are
3: with your team and your season. How many teams make it to the playoffs? If you are in a league where half make it, and you know you can take a little bit of risk, then make that move now. Be willing to sit through this game this week and through the bye if you can't afford that because only four teams make it or you know somehow you are actually you know two and four one and five and you need to start winning then be patient but yeah as you mentioned once the raiders get back from that week eight bye they have the giants we just saw what happened to them they have the chiefs twice over this stretch which i mean Kansas city even when their defense was performing a little bit better than it's been performing in 2021 derek carr i mean He was someone, if you just watched Derek Carr the last couple of years against the Chiefs, you would think he's the best quarterback in the NFL. And so there are a lot of things pointing in a positive direction there. They have the Bengals and the Cowboys, which aren't as positive matchups uh, in, in terms of some of the defensive elements. The Bengals haven't played very fast, which has been frustrating. But I do think there's some stealth shootout potential there, where if you look at Burrow and Prescott on the other end of that, you can... Certainly create a narrative for yourself where those games are going to be pretty explosive. But then you go down the stretch and you have Washington, which is you know their secondary is getting strafed. The Chiefs, again, the Browns are some real trouble. The Denver one in week 16 is not very positive, but we watched them just take apart Denver last week and then they finish out with the Indianapolis Colts. So yeah, exactly what you're saying there. We have a lot of car. We were using car to try and get to our rookie quarterbacks we've done a big Justin Fields stretch but we know that getting to the rookies has maybe not been as effective as we were hoping we also have this kind of paired with Joe Burrow then it's not as good as having Kyler Murray or Dak Prescott or Patrick Mahomes Josh Allen we did a, a big chunk of our previous show about that but Derek Carr now with some of these guys emerging does have the ability to kind of keep you in games. And so from that perspective, I I do still think that the late round QB is bringing part of the value to the table. And then you look at some of these QBs who are not as expensive, who are now moving into very good schedules. I think that's a positive element of it as well. So we look at Henry Ruggs. He gets open deep again last week. I mean, this has been a weekly occurrence. And so it's a matter of does he catch the ball? Is the ball on target? He has a chance for a long touchdown every single week brian edwards finally had a good game he was really struggling he made it just a really cool one-handed or one-armed grab in this last one hunter renfro consistent as they come and then i think we're about to go on a big
2: hot stretch here with darren waller i mean we better be shocked <laughs> no no I'm just, I, I i'm as excited as anyone about waller and i think uh I almost can't explain what's happened over the last several weeks, but I, I do completely agree with that. And, and the big thing with the Raiders generally is, and one of the reasons that they pop other than the schedule, but when I see the schedule match up with this, is it's exciting is that they have been throwing with intent from a play calling perspective. Now they were a little bit lower this week without Gruden. That will be something to watch if they continue to be very pass heavy or if they try to you know, establish the run. But the fact that, broadly overall they have been throwing on early downs and and their pass rate over expectation has been strong is another reason to really like these matchups and be excited that they will take advantage of them
3: do you think they can go the other direction with this team when you're talking about josh jacobs when you're talking about Kenyon drake now drake was a big waiver pickup this week because he sort of out of nowhere has the big game but i would think it'd be unfortunate if the head coaching change which you know there may be some negatives maybe some positives there are going to have a little bit of a cultural shift if they go away from some of the things that got them out to this really hot start and try and build around or focus around jacobs and drake i mean those are not your stars and that's not an effective way to play football in 2021
2: yeah and i their defense isn't great so that's a promising element of it where they may just be in game situations where they have to throw i i you we've seen interim coaches go very run heavy you have to consider that as a possibility i just don't i don't know i don't know that, that would be that that would happen it's uh yeah it's up in the air we got we got to kind of see that over multiple weeks i will say on drake that uh i worry about this in signals this week i mean he looked good he had a couple of good touchdowns he had over 70 yards but he played 12 snaps. (laughs) He got whatever it was, six or seven touches on 12 snaps. He ends up with a couple of touchdowns was not involved. I mean, Josh Jacobs is the stealth one. I think that for three straight weeks now he's run routes on at least 48% of dropbacks. He's had some spike games from a routes perspective in his career. It typically doesn't stick. And for him, it's fallen back into this 30% routes range often. If you look back at prior seasons, He's been up there around a half of dropbacks running routes. There's, I think, potential for Jacobs to actually have some fairly consistent receiving value, which has always been sort of the, the downside to Jacobs is that we're, we're not getting that at all. And then they do like to use him pretty heavily around the goal line. He got both of the green zone touches in this game, scored the touchdown. You know, Drake had the receiving TD. His rushing TD was, I think, from 13 yards out or something. It was outside the green zone. When they get in close, they give it to Jacobs. I don't expect I mean, I, I think Drake's performance, we talk about talent all the time and 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 how efficiency leads to more opportunity. Drake's performance, I think, would almost certainly lock him into more than twelve snaps coming, you know, coming forward in, in week eight here. I expect we'll see him play a little more. You don't do what he did and then not get a few more snaps to do some stuff. The question is, will he continue to be productive? I you know, the way that he scored, both of them being longer touchdowns is a little bit harder to see. And I actually think Jacobs is the one that if they do go this way at all, he's the one that's actually kind of a little bit of a buy. I, I hesitate to say that I've never been interested in, in Josh Jacobs, but uh, especially right now after Ken and Drake was good this past week, you might be able to get Jacobs pretty cheap. And that would be the reason to, to even consider it. Then
3: before we go, a couple of little notes from the Stealing Signals tool. We know that one of the things we've had the most fun with this season is DeAndre Swift and how that thesis has paid off. He's right there at the top with Najee Harris in terms of high-value touches. He is beating Harris substantially in terms of high-value touches per snap. At the same time, a lot of this has come in garbage time. talked in the Zero RB report this week about his receiving EP and how high he has been in that quarter category. But over the last three weeks, more than half of it has come in the fourth quarter. They have this matchup with the Rams this week where, I don't know, I mean, you worry that against some of these better teams that they won't be able to pick up those third downs. They won't be able to keep some of these drives going. They could sort of lose out and lose the fourth quarter. If the opponent is able to control the ball during garbage time, something that could happen with how bad their defense is. Deandre Swift has been a dream come true. Is it unsustainable to the point where we would consider moving him? I mean, he's obviously going to be a high value touch guy, but to maintain it at this level, when he's splitting sometime now, it's really moving in his favor. Talk about the EP split this past week was one of the biggest splits that he's had with Jamal Williams, even though Williams at times has looked like the better pure runner. Uh, you know, which was the rhetoric in the offseason, the Williams was going to be involved because he is this good early down runner. But even with Swift moving to take over more of the backfield, should we be concerned that Jared Goff was so bad this past week that? you know, some of the reports out of Detroit are about whether or not we should bench this guy. I mean, they don't don't have the ability to do that. I mean, this is going to be Jared Goff's team, but you never want to hear writers and fans talking about putting the starting QB on the bench because things could get really ugly. I mean, they could get uglier than
1: they already are in Detroit.
2: Yeah. I mean, this is not something i would even considered. And I think it's uh I want to hear more about your thoughts about why. We I mean, I here. have like a
3: hundred percent Deandre Swift. And so, right. and, and they're mostly in leagues where I can't sell him. So unfortunately I don't have to make that decision, but to do justice to the listeners, I wanted to make sure we at least uh, were willing to admit or to talk about this fact that there are some parts of
2: this that have been kind of lucky. So this is your Josh Jacobs, where I just said maybe he's a buy, even though I don't really want to buy Josh Jacobs. <laughs> You're saying maybe Deandre is supposed to sell. We're, we're thinking through things where we might be wrong. I'll say this was Swift three weeks ago, week four, first game over 70% snap share. He's at 73%. Week five is at 74%. Week six is at 78%. I mean, obviously that can't keep going up every week, but yeah, season highs three straight weeks in terms of how many snaps he's playing. A lot of that is because he basically is the only back that plays when they trail and they've been trailing and he plays a ton late and he's getting these garbage time points and, and you just covered all that. But the gap is widening. Like you said, you're, you're probably right in this implication that it's not going to continue to be this wide and that Jamal Williams is going to play a little bit more and they're going to be in situations where they use him more. Williams has been a little banged up as well, and they both have, but I think Swift is healthier. And so, yeah, I mean, it is interesting. At the same time, I am not in a position to ever be interested in moving a running back who is efficient, who is racking up high value touches, who is getting both the green zone touches and the receptions, He's doing it in every phase of the game. And then he's on a team that's not likely to be in a lot of situations that are different than what he's been in. I understand your point about if Koff were to get benched, it could get really bad. But this is exactly the type of guy that I'm interested in acquiring typically at running back, like as far as my process goes. So I'm not – I'm just excited about every every league that I have DeAndre Swift in. Yeah, I am as well. And I think that
3: Swift and Harris, a couple of guys that we had – for our live draft shows. Hopefully, uh, those were picks and the discussion of those picks when we did them back in the offseason. Hopefully, those were helpful to listeners and kind of the reason why we wanted to target those players. It's not something that we're 100% right on the guys by any stretch. Uh, Column and I did a, actually a big segment on overtime this last week talking about how I'm very impressed with what Derek Henry is doing. and I think that he should get credit for that. And that it is a situation, I think, where the talent level there is extreme. And as much as you and I talk about how you want to focus on talent instead of opportunity or not instead of, but understand that talent is going to create more opportunity in a lot of situations and that we want to see the big picture as opposed to the narrow picture and think that we know exactly how the season's going to play out from an opportunity perspective. Now, when you're talking about someone like a Henry, one of the things I did note is that people who are saying that Henry was the obvious pick and that historic season was the reason why, you know, that, that is a little bit more of a questionable take. But the idea that you could bet on Henry's talent, I do like that. And I think that having a little bit of exposure there may have made some sense, especially when you consider his full injury history. But from a big picture perspective, one of the reasons why our teams are in the position that they're in, and even in that position, even though because of where we drafted and because of the types of things we were targeting, we have a lot of Barkley who is out. One of the reasons why the teams are doing well is that from a big picture, from a humility-based picture, targeting the running back receptions and targeting overall receptions through the wide receiver position in the flex That's worked well. And I like the fact that the live drafts that we did, I think, illustrated how that was going to help listeners.
2: Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. I mean, that's, we've talked about this before, but for anyone who maybe hasn't caught it, that's something I always try to drive home with receivers is that receptions are just basically undervalued. There is so much upside in just receptions. We think of upside as these explosive players who can make big plays. But some of the biggest games you will ever see at receiver, basically all of them. If you go and look historically, if you go look at uh, what drives them, it's, it's receptions. It's like, there are obviously the, the biggest all time games have multiple touchdowns as well, but there is, I mean, I haven't done like a, an R squared, you know, whatever, like look at the correlation between these things, but there is so much more stability in my mind when I, when I just look at these things and it's it, like, it pops. When you look at the big games, in the player having a high reception game that's how you get to big numbers obviously multiple touchdown games add add value as well but it is it is pretty crazy like three catches for 30 yards is you know the equivalent of of one one touchdown and so you know you talk about when guys get to double digit catches or they get to nine catches or eight catches in a game compared to a guy getting five catches but maybe scoring a couple tds the, the dude that gets to 10 plus and and only, maybe he only has one touchdown. He's going to end up scoring more points. That's just how it all adds up. And so that's why we look at target rate so heavily: targets per route run. Who can draw volume at a huge, uh, you know, rate? Obviously, none of this is groundbreaking, but I do think it needs to get emphasized more that we're not just looking for touchdowns in PPR leagues. We're not just looking for, you know, big play ability that really jumps off the page. A guy had a seventy-yard touchdown. There are those players that. Don't even make a big play all season and wind up being fantasy monsters. Uh, you know, I mean, I always think back to Keenan Allen, who is not having that year this year, but certainly has been the guy that can just so dominate targets that he can just rack up 10, 12, 14 catch games over the course of a season, have a handful of them over the course of a season. Uh, the best example right now is probably Deontay Johnson, who just continues to get massive target numbers every week. That's He's just going to be good every single week because of that. So definitely something that's really important. As I listen to you talk there, I just I feel like somewhere out there, Brandon
3: Marshall is listening and thinking, you know, if we could just go back a couple of years, I'm ready to give you guys 15 targets a game,
2: uh, 13 receptions and and yeah. you you can't cover me. So, yeah, I think the last guy that had a 40 percent market share for a season, Brandon Marshall, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, just a ridiculous stat. We, we're stoked if we get a 30 percent market share. That's league leading stuff. And uh, Marshall, I think it was uh, that Bears season had a 40% market share over the course
3: of a year. Well, that brings us to the end of another fun episode of Stealing Bananas. Great to talk with you about these different guys, get into a little bit more depth with some of the players. We wish all of our listeners a good luck on the Thursday night game that will have transpired in between our recording and you're listening to this, and then good luck this weekend, actually go for those big victories in a buy heavy week seven. All of that information there with the high value touches you can get from Ben's newsletter, Stealing Signals. You can get it in our Stealing Signals tool at Rotovis. Uh, I mentioned this from time to time, really appreciate the work that Ben and Dave Cabin have put into that. Uh, a lot of fun to go through all of the information there. If you want to uh, get into RV and, and have a chance to play around with all that information. Uh, just save yourself 10%. Use the coupon code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. If you can, leave us a rating and review for Stealing Bananas and subscribe to our feed. You'll get the show as soon as it drops. We change the schedule around just a little bit for you guys, get some of these shows out for you a little bit earlier. Uh, that Wednesday show to help with some things like waivers and just to be available for you there when you're exercising or going for a walk midday on Wednesday. Uh, trying to get the cobwebs out, get out in nature a little bit and uh, get that vitamin D that reinvigorates the, the body, clears out the mind, makes it for such a nice Wednesday afternoon. So we're we're looking at your overall wellness with stealing bananas here.
2: Well, that sounds great. I haven't left my room all season. <laughs> I want to do that. Well, I just, you know, i
3: I didn't want to say anything, Ben, but you're looking a little pale on the other side <laughs> of the camera over there. Uh, not as pale as I am, of course, still. Uh, I am a little bit afraid of the sun, but taking my vitamin D with the other vitamins that I guess you're supposed to take with that. No, just joking. Get out there, get yourself a walk. The evidence, and you know, we're all about the evidence-based research here. The evidence is very unequivocal about how helpful it is to be out there in nature! It will completely change your life around, and since stealing bananas, listeners are already in good shape from that perspective. I mean, you will, you know, almost get to the point of being superhuman. I think if you are listening to stealing bananas and going for your walk. So that's probably more than we needed on that. Ben, thank you so much for today. Everybody else, we'll see you in a few days.